0: Welcome to the Saturday Down South podcast, he is Chris Marley, I am Conor O'Gara, I was going to open by asking you about your weekend plans, but I want to open with something different because this is big news, and I think for all those who think, oh yeah, it's the off season, we just take it easy, no, no we don't, because you, sir, have
1: lost 17 pounds. What? Yeah, I didn't know that's the direction you were going, thank you. Go uh, Go yeah, I was excited, man, and, and to be fair... I that was after I had some pizza and beer last night. It was like a cheat meal, so I was pretty pumped. It could be it could be thirty pounds. We don't even. No, I'm kidding. It's not, I appreciate that though.
0: And you have a beard, so that adds weight. So if you're clean shaven, you're probably like you probably lost eighteen pounds. Seventeen point two, yes, yeah, but it's a really thick, thick flesh colored beard. Yeah. So um, we're we're making a big moves. Uh, we have a lot to get to today. We have uh, an interview coming up with T J Mo uh, that we're going to be recording. Future us is going to know if we're actually going to be able to, to do this. <laughs> Uh, But we we definitely are going to talk all things Mizzou with him. We're going to hit on some Drew Locke stuff. We also have the Barry Odom-Jeremy Pruitt rivalry that's been beginning, uh, which is all sorts of crazy and kind of exactly what the SEC East needs. Um, And then we're going to talk SEC assistance making some bank. Uh, That's pretty much been par for the course now for the last couple years. But... Uh, and then Kentucky Tennessee basketball, which we forgot to talk about last week, um, right? Because it was still like it was still five days out at the time. So give us a little bit of a break. But we will recap some of that. We want to talk well, about. Well, it ended up also
1: sport. not being a great game. So we'll talk about it anyway. <laughs> this is true. This is true. And then because
0: something we did look forward to this upcoming weekend, it is the Oscars College Football Edition. We've got some comps that are yeah. going to blow your mind. I don't want to oversell this. But this is like one of the best things we've ever done. Maybe. Let's. <laughs> I
1: didn't think you'd really oversell it that much, but I don't want to oversell this. But this might be the most impactful thing we've ever done on this podcast or our lives. Yeah. Uh, there was a Michael
0: Scott line in there somewhere that I totally got that, that was in my head that just.
1: escaped. Sometimes I start saying stuff and I don't even know where the sentence is going. <laughs> All right. Let's talk about the the big news in the
0: SEC last week. In my opinion, was. Todd Grantham getting this $1.8 million deal to stay at Florida. Turns down that Cincinnati Bengals, the defensive coordinator for Florida, uh, is going to be there for more than one year, which, you know, for a little bit, we're kind of unsure of where that was all going to go. And Florida fans were kind of, you know, feeling really like, oh, man, we've had such a great last couple months, and this is going to be kind of the first major thing that's going to go against us. Don't do this on Valentine's Day, Todd. Did he come back on Valentine's Day?
1: No, but it was like right around there. It actually, might have. I don't know. <laughs>
0: it, was, it was right around
1: there. It was there. right at the end of the week,
0: yeah. Uh, he definitely, but he, I mean, he You know, did talk to his family which you know, and, and make that decision because of his family, somebody who's been at eight right. different places in the 21st century. Maybe he did say to his wife on Valentine's Day, like, hey, what if we stay in Gainesville? And then maybe she was like sipping some wine and thinking to herself, yeah, let's do it.
1: Maybe so, he like forgot to get her a present and was going to go to Cincinnati and it was like, oh, the, the
0: surprise was we're staying. There we go. And getting (laughs) $1.8 million to stay. For real. So uh, getting a $400,000 raise, uh, which, you know, I think Georgia fans looked at that and they just laughed. I mean, I I tweeted about this and I thought that it was really kind of indicative of where this whole thing is at, where Georgia fans, as we know, we talked about this last month with Jim Cheney going to Tennessee and how Georgia fans basically made fun of the move, said, you're overpaying for Jim Cheney. We've seen what he is the last two years. And then... When you see Grantham sign this new deal with Florida, all the Georgia fans are like, "Oh my gosh, what a joke! They overpaid for him." Florida's just being Florida. Right. What a joke! Georgia fans have been kind of the worst about this this assistant stuff the last couple months. It,
1: so I think they've been the most prevalent, and I'd say for me, just because like I'm, it, you know, kind of entrenched in it, being in Atlanta and knowing a lot of Georgia fans and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, it's like every single thing that's happened is like that's dumb, and stupid. And then, like, anything that your team does is like, oh, man, what a brilliant move by Kirby. Like, I, it's, I think it's probably all fan bases. But, yeah, Georgia has not really I, – I don't want to say they haven't handled it well. They haven't handled it uh, maturely, I feel yeah. like, in the past, past um, couple of months, I guess. Yeah, and
0: it's it's strange to be. I mean, we we love Georgia fans. So don't get us wrong. I we, we've yeah. had plenty of good times with Georgia fans. Going to go to the SEC championship and being surrounded by nothing but Georgia fans. We've yeah. been nice with them. Which right, was pretty amazing. People forget that. They, so let the record show. But you know, I I think that Georgia fans were kind of speaking on. They were kind of the voice of this um, anti um, this this movement against coaches getting paid ridiculous. Assistant coaches rather yeah. getting paid these. Extraordinary contracts, are really, what they be- have become. And Grantham last year comes into Florida and he gets paid 1.4 million dollars, and everybody's like, even f- some Florida fans were like, "What are they doing?" That's this more is- alarming. Yeah, and then, so they were they were all worried about the fact that Todd Grantham is really going to be the highest paid Florida assistant ever, and they're thinking to themselves, "Man, like, what have we got ourselves into?" And then a year later, Florida fans are like, "Don't go, don't go, come back!" Right? Come back. And then they're thinking to themselves, "What a gr- you know we're we're in such we're in such great shape to be able to have him for one point yeah. eight million dollars." And that's just kind of a, a sign of the times and what this this has really become. And that assistant salaries are way more stable now. they they're, yeah. it's, it's unbelievable if you look at some of the numbers.
1: Well, and, and the thing is, like, and I, I do want to go. We'll go back to it after after this part, uh, and kind of give Georgia fans credit as to why their reaction might be understandable, and just like their kind of ire that they've had for Todd Grantham for several years now. I think I don't think it's just it's something that just happened. This with this signing, um, but I will say, yeah, like you know, the Dave Aranda contract was pretty crazy at two point five million dollars. The I don't I wasn't surprised that he was getting that much because he's at a top ten program, I would say, like in terms of the amount of money they bring in and and how like the, the relevance it has on a national scale. Like t- like Florida can afford to do this. There's no doubt about it. If they're trying to consistently make their program better and these are the steps that they have to do, then fine. Like they, they can absolutely afford to do it. So from that standpoint, I don't think that number is too too large. Where it always like I always come back to though is like if if Orgeron's making just double, <laughs> and I know he I know he got like a his, his contract's getting restructured and revised and all that kind of stuff and, and he's gonna get extension, but like if he's making just double of what the defensive coordinator's making at Florida. Like, that that part seems a little bit weird. It has changed a little bit. And if you go back,
0: even, I think it was 2008, when Kirby was at Alabama, and I think he made something like 350000 and Saban was making like $3.8 Right. And at the time, it's like, all right, well, Kirby's this young guy, and that, that kind of makes sense given the market. Nobody really was like, oh, assistants need to start making more. But the assistant salaries have risen so much—it's unbelievable. Yeah. Go back to 2012. Two assistants in the country were making more than a million bucks. That's crazy. In, t- in 2018, there were 21 assistants that made at least a million dollars. That's unbelievable. Yeah. Like back in back in 2012, Grantham was the sixth highest-paid assistant in the country, at $825,000. He is now going to be at, tentatively speaking, of course. This is pending a few other things. If certain coaches get extended, but it's looking right. like he's going to be, I think, number four nationally and he's making more than double <laughs> that salary. I mean, in that short of a time frame, the market on assistants has increased so much to now, I sort of wonder, if you look at guys like Mike Elko, who Mike Elko is also going to be a, candid- a candidate for that Bengals job and is reportedly now going to be returning to A&M, but we don't know the structure yep. of that deal. But Jimbo Fisher paid him $1.8 million to leave Notre Dame. Brent Venables just got a huge extension to make yeah. him the highest paid assistant in the country. Dave Arand, as about. it was worth it. About. And he's worth it. He's absolutely yeah. worth it. And I think you look at deals like that, and you kind of wonder yourself, if you're a big-time program and you have an assistant that you want to keep, what is the only thing that they are going to leave for? Is it a Power 5 head coaching job? Because if you're leaving for a Power 5 assistant job, chances are, it's. I mean, yeah, I understand there are Jim Cheney situations where certain coaches maybe fall out of favor with the fan base. They just kind of need yeah. a new start, whatever. But for the most part, if you have an assistant, if you're a Power 5 team, and you really want to keep him, unless he's getting some big time promotion elsewhere. You should have the resources to keep him in this current market.
1: Well, and also, and, and again, that's that's the whole thing. It's the current market. It's the current state of where we are in terms of, of college football, and not just college football, but especially SEC football. It's everything is an arms race. Every in trying to improve your facilities, like you look at all across the SEC, what Georgia put in last year, Auburn put in last year for like their facilities in terms of their locker room and, and all those improvements. These are all things that I think Bama was a little bit ahead of the curve on when Saban got there initially. And that you can kind of see like everyone else has now caught up and surpassed them in terms of especially with the facility thing. But that's how you get recruits. That, and I think we've seen it with Bama again, the continuity to have like on staff to be able to keep people like this, that's a really big important part. Like you look at Venable saying at Clemson, that is a massive part of Dabo's success. I think he hasn't he's had pretty much the same core group of coaches for the last like nine years. It's unbelievable. I mean, I know we lost more or something like that but it it really is unbelievable and so i think it it i want i don't want to say it's out of hand because like 1.8 million dollars is a lot of money but it just seems like you said in the current market that's the going rate like it kind of reminds me a little bit of how baseball free agency was like maybe five ten years ago where you're going to be overspending for like a a, you know a, a starter like maybe like your third best starter but everyone else is also going to be overspending for him. So if you want to stay ahead of the curve and start try to win that arms race, then yeah, that's what you're paying. That's what you're doing.
0: So Aranda was at, is at $2.5 million in that deal last year when they prevent him. LSU, uh, Joe Oliva basically says, we're not going to let AM lure him away. And then AM ultimately settles, if you want to yeah. call it settling for Mike Elko, who turned out to be right. a great coach and who I was very high on at the time as well. But Dave Aranda gets that $2.5 million deal annually. It was a four-year A $10 million deal. And at the time, you're just like, oh my gosh, the market (laughs) for assistance is just going to blow up. And sure enough, in the last year, it really has. And now Brent Venables has benefited from that as well. Consider this, though, too. So the $2.5 million that Aranda is making annually, no group of five coach in the country made more than $2.6 million last year. So that's important to remember as you're trying to, because a lot of times what happens with these big time coordinators is they're trying to rise up the ladder i mean let's let's remember they are ultimately assistants they are not the number one person in charge at their program and if you're trying to look at the traditional ladder of what you take as a coach
1: is a group of five job really that attractive now is it well and it's also i mean i don't know i because it depends on the person i think a lot but yeah that's a really good point like that used to be like how the system worked like willie taggart was the great example? Office yeah. coordinator. I forgot where it was, but he became the head coach at Western Kentucky, and then he became the head coach at what I think it was USF. Right, yeah, USF, and then SF, Oregon, and Florida State. Yeah, and so and and that's just kind of how it used to work. And and you look at like Malzahn, you look at Hugh Freeze, and, and it's kind of a similar fashion where you go from Arkansas State, and then you come into Ole Miss, or um and the same thing with Malzahn. But what I will say is not every coach. Wants or needs to be a head coach. Very true. Very true. And then you look at Venables. I don't know if he's gonna stay at Clemson forever, but like not every head coach, or not every coach wants that kind of responsibility, is built for that kind of stuff, or you know, I think would be that might not be the best career move.
0: I think Venables has been a defensive coordinator
1: for about 21
0: years. Not at Clemson. <laughs> well, look just Bud at Bud Foster.
1: Clemson. Yeah, it's amazing. I mean, same with, like, Mickey Andrews at Florida State for years and years and years. I know you hate Florida State, so I'm sorry (laughs) I brought it up. But I will say this. The thing with Grantham, a lot of it has to do, I think, also with the head coach's comfortable, or, like, his level of, like, comfortable... I'm saying this word wrong. Is comfortability a word, Connor? Comfortability. Is it? It's close enough. All right, cool. Um, So I think Mullen being comfortable with this and, like, wanting him to stay on staff also probably had a lot to do with it. And the reason why is... You know, Mullen was at Mississippi State for, I think, like, what, eight years before the 2017 season when uh, Grantham got there. When he, <laughs> Mississippi State was ranked 93rd in the country in total defense in 2016. 93rd. First year that he's there, they're ranked 26th in scoring defense. So it's a huge improvement. I, I don't think that Mullen necessarily thinks that he's the key, Grantham's the key to their success. But you look at what, what Florida was able to do in 2017 on defense. Their scoring defense was 69th. Nice. nice in the country. And then Grantham gets there first year, they're 20th. So maybe it's just, again, he's comfortable with them. Like What they have been doing the past two two years seems to have been working. So yeah, by all means, pay for them, keep on staff, keep the continuity on staff, there you go. You know what I hate is all the people who
0: are saying um, and a lot of it, I'm, I don't mean for this to be a, just a podcast of calling on Georgia fans, but a lot of Georgia fans were saying, Oh, it's, look what Todd Grantham did against SEC East competition last year. And I broke down the numbers. And I understand that the Florida yeah. defense struggled against Georgia. And they actually, I broke it down and they, they allowed 30 points per game against divisional foes. And you'd say, Why would you pay a coordinator $1.8 million when he can't shut down divisional foes? If you look at the four other games that they played against power five opponents, which was, um, LSU, Michigan. Mississippi State, Michigan, and then Florida State. They a thirteen and a half points. So if you yeah. want to bring that that stat in there, fine, whatever. But then throw the other thing in there and make sure that you also mention that it was a top twenty defense and top twenty units don't grow on yeah. trees. So Georgia fans that are still riled up about that and you know they're 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 throwing Jim Chaney under the bus after he is a top twenty unit. I'm just saying these top twenty units you can't always take a for Granton. I, I think that Grantham, I, I'm definitely more on the pro-Grantham side than most. And just understanding like, so if you're a Florida fan here and you're thinking to yourself $1.8 million and you, you're, the expectations are going to rise. And that's what's going to happen with a lot of these assistants. But I think with Grantham especially, it's important to remember that you're going to have to take the good with the bad, because <laughs> yeah. there are going to be games where you face a veteran quarterback, somebody like Jake Fromm, somebody like Drew Locke, and they understand how to read blitzes and they understand where their first read is, even somebody like Jake Bentley who scored some points against that Florida defense, and it's just not going to work, and it's going to look really bad a couple games. But for the And he's most been point, around
1: the league for a long time, so people kind of know his, his style at right. this point. Exactly. So But
0: I think for the most part, if you're a Florida fan, you're feeling really good. If you're an SEC fan of an elite program, you're thinking to yourself, deals like this make me more confident that we should be able to re- retain our our assistance if, right. if that's what you know if that's what we want to do ultimately
1: so I will say this though in in that's a good segue into the fact that like Georgia fans are, in defending what they're saying I, I kind of understand their side of this almost more than the one like I, I get the whole program thing and that's the, like the current market all that kind of stuff. I totally understand why there's Georgia there's a personal fans, side yeah you know the personal side of it like not, not even that part it, there's a little bit of a personal side of it I, I think a lot of Georgia fans felt like Grantham really underachieved like a lot at Georgia when you come in 2010's his first year you go into 2011 they have the fifth ranked overall total or fifth ranked total defense in the country really great team you go into 2012 and I don't think Georgia fans ever quite got over that that season and in 2012 you have nine players on that defense that were drafted or played in the NFL from from the 11 starters nine of the 11 and for them to lose the SEC championship game that year because of their defense not being able to stop the run giving up over 350 yards rushing in the game and over I think it was 200 or so in the they had two uh, running backs over 170 yards against that defense and that's again nine of 11 end up getting drafted I think that was obviously really frustrating but then you talk about the fact that he's also never been a great recruiter he's never signed a five-star he's never been responsible for for signing a five-star like During his, like, in the past 10 years, I guess. Um, But more than anything, for Georgia fans, like, the if there's a level of, like, smugness or arrogance about it, again, the reason why kind of makes sense. And that's because, take away from what he did while he was at UGA, if they were upset about that and say he wasn't that great. The last three times Georgia has played against a Todd Grantham defense, they have put up An average of 34.7 points, 441.7 yards, and won by an average of 23.3 points. No
0: doubt. They have,
1: I mean, so I get, I totally get why. And I'm not going to say that, yeah, sure, Grantham is overrated. He's overpaid, all that kind of stuff. But I totally understand also why Georgia fans would be so jaded or feel the way they do.
0: Georgia, Florida, Florida, Georgia, whatever you want to call it. It's so good. It's so good. It's awesome. It's petty. It's fantastic. A new rivalry forming in the SEC East as we know it. Um, this Barry Odom, Jeremy Pruitt thing that came out last week via CBS Sports, I think it was Dennis Dodd who did the, the reporting on this, um, and Barry Odom basically called out Tennessee for apparently contacting his seniors nonstop because as we know, Mizzou facing this bull ban after the NCAA um, ruled uh, that it committed academic fraud. We know that Mizzou players can now be contacted and transfer without restrictions. And apparently the biggest the, the, the biggest recruiter of 10 of these Mizzou seniors is Tennessee. And Barry Odom, not so happy about it. So he came out and told CBS Sports, everybody is going to have a bad day. You combine that with somebody <laughs> that who we'd beat 51 to 17 this year, Tennessee? Yeah, those guys. They are nonstop reaching out daily saying, hey, come here. The grass is not always greener somewhere else. Barry Odom. Woo! I, Dang. dude,
1: when you, so when you said that he, this was reported by Dennis Dodd, I, like, I had to double take, because I was like, was it or was it reported by Vince McMahon? Because he just came in <laughs> hot! Like, I just imagined this entire interview was held, like, with him, like, shirtless, sweating profusely in the backstage of some arena in, like, St. Louis, and then, like, all of a sudden, like, glass breaks, and he's, like, sprinting out into the ring. This... I think he's spot on, but it is, it's another example of like, I think Mizzou fans for the most part are really logical fans. I think they're, they're, they're pretty logical people in general, but like, this goes back to like, this is wrong. You shouldn't be trying to do this. And they look at it from the Tennessee side. They're like, that's our coach. Just relentless in the recruiting trail. Never did. Never stops. Like I would be frustrated too. And when he brought the 51 to 17 thing, yeah, that would also be pretty frustrating. It happened two years in a row. And we talked about it last week and we'll talk about it more later today. And with TJ Mo, hopefully like, it does kind of feel like the NCAA invited this into this whole circumstance because of of the way they put laid out the sanctions. I think both sides here are right, though.
0: Um, yeah. I don't. I, I don't necessarily agree with Barry Odom um, for saying that this rule should be illegal in general, but yeah. at the same time, I. Have no, I, like, I have no problem with Jeremy Pruitt contacting those players because, as we know, Tennessee is in need of getting as much veteran leadership as it possibly can, getting guys who can come in there, especially on the offensive line, and just play immediately. They yeah. are trying to do that. They are looking for guys. They are looking for depth to be able to do that. And if you're Barry Odom, you better fight for your team. At this juncture right now, yeah. your team is just kind of under duress, and your team could easily be a punching bag for all these national headlines. And have been. And yeah, and they really have been. That's that's, the whole program. True, and Barry Odom has been a boss. This has been my favorite version of Barry Odom, where he's calling out Tennessee and he releases a statement on Twitter saying, you know, we're gonna fight this and blah 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 and like standing up. It would be so easy, and I think a lot of coaches. I don't want to say the majority of coaches, but a lot of coaches in college football. If they were facing this kind of ordeal with a bull ban that they did not agree with, they would take the politically correct road and say, "You we're know what? We're disappointed. just disappointed. You know, we're <laughs> going to let our administration handle this. We, yeah. You know, we're we're just going to we're just going to keep, keep our heads forward. down, keep moving forward, control what we can control, all that crap." Barry Odom's like, yep. no. You know what? Screw this! I'm tired of people coming after my players. I'm tired of the NCAA telling us what we can and can't do. And you know what? So be it. This my is my job being
1: on the line every single year. I'm constantly under scrutiny. And it's again, this is a this is an attitude. I think that I love that he's taking on that the team is now taking on, but also the fact that like the, the whole program is kind of taking on because that that university's been through a lot and and some of it on the field, some of it off the field, and the we're rap not going to get video. It. The rap it was a lot, but it was great to see Barry Odom come out like kind of you know just firing at, at at Tennessee with it, because I get the feeling that, like you said, like him defending his players. I think a lot of us have kind of like, we you brought it up a couple weeks ago, and it was a great point—the fact that this kind of shows you the importance of bowl games. Like if you're calling a player to be like, hey dude, you want to come play for us? We're we're going to go to a bowl game. First off, no offense, Tennessee. What kind of bowl game are you expecting to be going to next year that's going to lure a kid away from school his last year of college that he's been at a program that pretty much breeds off loyalty? These aren't like five-star recruits that have been, you know, like shown a red carpet when they go to Como at all. And you want them to leave school so they can go to what? The Belk Bowl? I'm good. I'm good. Like, And I, I, I love the fact, like, I get I get what Jerry Pruitt's doing, and it's it's not illegal. It's not bad. Um, like, from, like a, from that standpoint... But it does show, again, a little bit of the arrogance, I think, of Tennessee fans and Tennessee, where they think their program is in relation to where Missouri's is. I think Missouri's going to have a very good season next year. I think they've got a lot in place, and I think this is, like, really fueled the fire. And what people keep forgetting is that appeal process, they've already filed it. It's supposed to take, on the NCAA website, it says, the committee infractions website, it says it takes about 110 days. And so the, the actual time they've given Mizzou is said it's to be between 6 and 12 months. If that appeal process is still ongoing, by the time the season rolls around, there's a chance they could still get to a bowl game if they're not done with all of that. There's a very good chance that will not be that bowl game will not be in place until the next year if it if it's upheld. Is that is that right? Yeah. Oh, I didn't realize that. Huh. Yeah. I was
0: kind of thinking that they would still have to. It would be, you know, that's what the NCAA
1: ruled, and until further notice, they would assume no bowl game. But that no. that does make it interesting. I was amazed, like or mostly by the fact that it said 110 day process. And then the NCAA came back. That was on their website. And then it came back out and said, like, it'll be about six, 12 months. I was like, okay, cool. Don't man. ever, don't ever take those yeah.
0: NCAA timelines. Comcast
1: customer whatever. service here. I mean, but the, the Tennessee thing, like, not to harp on them. Because, again, I think Pruitt's got them going in the right direction. I think they're trending upwards. I just don't, I, I was amazed by the level of arrogance, like, from the fans that were kind of trash talking, like, why would you want to stay in Missouri? Like, why would you can come here in this program and blah, blah, blah. This is a program that, like, for Tennessee. Missouri has beaten Tennessee five of the seven years they've been in this conference. They've yep. beaten, they've put up 50 in three of those five wins, and they've won by an average of three touchdowns, 21 points on the dot in those five games. So I get that Tennessee long, you know, like like their long standing tradition. They've got more tradition and championships and all those things in their entire program's history. However, since Mizzou has come in, they have owned Tennessee. So I would also be pissed about that if I was Barry Odom or the fans. Let's say some nice things about Tennessee. They're they're trending upwards. They're doing great. I love the basketball team. Let's talk. Let's talk some Tennessee hoops because
0: we'll we we'll own it. We 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 beefed up. Uh, Adam Spencer, our good our good buddy, pointed out our SDS basketball expert pointed out. Hey, uh, Kentucky Tennessee Saturday. Uh, y'all want me to come on and talk about it? And had we like. This is how football minded we are. We don't look ahead like six, five days in advance with okay. the basketball I, schedule. I do. I don't. Okay, there you go. Stop <laughs> right, saying I'll, we. I'll there you us. go. I'll separate us. And had we known, we definitely would have talked to him about that. We I mean, so, it's, a, that's it's our The bad. thing is,
1: though, yeah, it was our bad. But the thing is, um, because I actually, I, I will admit, I got confused because I at first thought it was on Tuesday and I started working on like social media graphics for the big game because I knew they were playing like the ranked team that Kentucky was like that Tuesday night. I forgot it was LSU. Cuz it's another another like there's only three ranked teams and Kentucky played two of them this week. But that game I'm glad that we didn't have Adam on as much as I love Adam because it ended up being a little bit of a dud, but I think it ended up also being something that's perfect for the Tennessee team. Like they got punched in the mouth a little bit. And this that it, it couldn't have happened at a better time. This I don't want to say the game's insignificant, but it doesn't this isn't like college football where it's like getting later in the season, you've lost, that's gonna really count against you when the playoff committee tries to figure out you know who's getting in. I, I think this only does does good things for Tennessee.
0: What I what I took away from it was the buildup and the rise to this 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 matchup was kind of a sign of the times for SEC basketball in the current state that it's at, or at least that it hopes that it's at, where you have two top five teams playing in a game that's going to be on college game day you have number 1 Tennessee a team that's you know traditionally a football school with this uh, this this head coach who you know was hired in the last 5 years that looks like one of this this great like val- low value yeah. hire for the program and all of a sudden SEC basketball you're potentially talking about two teams that could still have a number one seed. I understand Kentucky was the dominant team on Saturday night, and Rick Barnes admitted, you know what, they dominated us in every single way, and I get all that, but I thought what Dana O'Neill wrote in The Athletic was really, really insightful in terms of what this rise of SEC basketball yeah. has has been about, and if you kind of break it down, you know, um, I, I'm going to pronounce this wrong. Is it Mike Trang-Zeezy? Why, why are you Tra-Z? asking me? I don't know. We're not pronunciation guys. You know it's
1: this. It's geese. It's the plural of goose. Right. Um, yeah. Mike
0: Tran Geese. Uh, he's a, an advisor for SEC basketball, and he's talking about, you know, he in this in this story for the Athletic, he basically told these programs, look, you need to start using football as a means to recruit basketball. Yeah. Which, duh, that seems like a no brainer. <laughs> yeah. Like if you're Tom Crean, you take your recruits to a Georgia football game yeah. and say, hey, you know, in your downtime, you could go do this. Um, that seems really, really obvious. But I think at the at the forefront of this rise of SEC basketball and Tennessee is a great example of this. You have six, yeah, I count six programs in the SEC that are traditionally football schools. Actually, seven, even if you want to include Kermit Davis at at, at Ole Miss. I think that's so. If you're looking at yeah. half the conference, really, in the last five years, has made a really, really solid coaching hire that has. Lit, that has led to some significant success for yeah. these programs: Rick Barnes, Tennessee; Bruce Pearl, Auburn; Avery Johnson, Alabama; Ben Howell, in Mississippi State; Frank Martin, South Carolina; Tom Green, of Georgia. I know the jury's still out on Tom Green whether or not he's going to rebuild Georgia,
1: but and then it's off to a good start. Not not with the record. I'm not being facetious at all. I mean, like, but getting the number one overall player in the country. I mean. But well, that so, kind of
0: that kind of says a lot, does it not? Yeah. That 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 kind of describes why this there is this optimism right now surrounding
1: SEC basketball. Well, again, yeah, I think I think honestly, a lot of times the SEC the basketball t- teams have been like, you've got a couple, it's top heavy. You've got a couple teams that are really good. The rest of the conference is pretty similar, and and you kind of hide behind a facade of it being like the parody and they kind of cannibalize themselves, but like they don't. There's a lot of mediocre teams this year. It, it kind of looks similar, like on a surface level. Like, I mean, there there are teams that have very, like, very much underperformed this year. Auburn is one of them. They have been up and down. almost the same way. Um, Florida is an enigma because you would assume they would be a lot better as a program. They've just been kind of bad for most of the season. Alabama's just never gonna get over the hump, apparently. But when you look at those top three teams that are ranked, right, and it's, it doesn't say a lot of great things about the conference in terms of basketball when you only have three ranked teams but when you feature those three teams in one week when you have LSU going on the road at Kentucky beating them in Rupp Arena and then Kentucky coming back on Saturday night 4 days later and playing the number 1 overall team in the country and just boat racing them it was i think it said a lot more about you know what like we might it, usually the SEC argues like how many teams are we going to get into the, the into March Madness like how many teams are going to get in the tournament hopefully we can get 7 or 8 like that that's usually like what we're fingers crossed like looking forward to this year is different. Like, it's not only how many teams are going to get in, but how many could possibly get a one or a two seed and actually get to the Final Four and win the national championship. And I think you could honestly make a case for for all three right now.
0: Yeah, LSU, I think, is the team that, you know, they're, they're kind of the wild card playing really, yeah. really well. Anybody that goes into Rupp and has a performance like that, and I understand the goaltending call, all that stuff, but it was still yeah. that close of a game down the stretch against a Kentucky team that was playing as well as anybody in the country. Right. So, I I get all that, and I think that one of the things that's going to help the SEC brand is this Kentucky-Tennessee rivalry this year. I think that is so huge. And this stretch right now, this little window, you realize this could potentially, and I'm just saying potentially, be one of four matchups that these two teams have in the next two months. Right. If, 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 if. They face in the SEC championship, and then if they somehow face in the NCAA tournament, which obviously that's still technically a long shot to happen. But if you, even if you just take those three matchups in a potential, yeah. I don't know, like five five week stretch, and yeah. what that could potentially mean for the conference, because it's and great. Twitter. Oh yeah, oh it's it's fantastic. <laughs> it's, I mean, watching some of the back and forth, God. It's it's great, but this is what it needs because this is what football has, and this is what basketball has lacked for well,
1: so long. And you look at again, like you, like you look at the Big Ten, and and no offense, but like I've always looked around, like yeah, it's the Big Three. Penn State, you talk Ohio, about State the Michigan. Big Ten
0: like it's my firstborn
1: child. It is not. I, I I'm it's probably your adopted child. It's fine. What it's your child, Connor. You are the father. Um, no, but I'm saying like what drives that. I think like a lot of times, like in sports in general, is, is rivalries and. You look at the Big Ten, it's like, wow, man, everyone knows the end of the year you have that Ohio State-Michigan, what do you call it? What's it called? What's the actual name of the rivalry? The Game. The Game, yeah. At the end of the year, everyone's looking forward to that. And like, there's usually going to be some kind of national championship implications on the line. What Kentucky and uh, and Tennessee, I almost said Florida, what Kentucky and Tennessee are able to do this year? I think like, hopefully the games are a little bit closer moving forward. But yeah, having that kind of presence, two teams that I don't know if they're going to stay in the top five, like to have like... That kind of rivalry in the same conference, in the same division, that's huge. That's huge. And Tennessee is household
0: names, too. I mean, that's, that's the fun part. Is guys like yeah. Grant Williams and Admiral Schofield. I mean, these are two seniors who are playing in what, what has obviously been well, sort of just this this renaissance year for them.
1: Yeah. Well, like, Williams is a junior, but he's like— Is he? A, wait, he's a I, I know. That's, I said it last week. I was like, he's a junior? Like, when did that happen? Oh, my gosh. Um, it's like he's been in school forever. Uh, yeah, agreed. But I, I think that uh, Grant Williams is definitely, you've heard it here first, the Hunter Renfro of SC basketball. But it's, yeah, I mean, I, it is is—it is a awesome. When you look at just, like, the dynamic of, like, the, the matchup or the rivalry, it's kind of cool because you have like older, more veteran-laced team from, from Tennessee and then also Kentucky, who every year seems like they're starting, like, you know, at least three to four freshmen that were top 100 recruits and all that kind of stuff. So, I don't know. It should be a lot of fun, I guess. When's the SC tournament? Three weeks? It's coming up real soon. Real soon. They play at Tennessee in two weeks. Eh, that's
0: going to be um, – I'm, I'm just going to go out there and say that – wait, is that on a Saturday? Uh, probably so. I, I mean, I'm not sure, but probably. Uh, maybe it's not. Maybe it's not. Pat Forty, not buying Tennessee. Did you no. see this call? T- he wrote that Tennessee is overrated. The, the overrated chant that Cal stopped. Oh. He's like, he shouldn't have stopped it because Tennessee is overrated. And then he's, like, pointing to all these things. And, and I get what he's trying to say, and he's trying to say, like, all right, maybe we got a little bit of a, ahead of ourselves with this 19-game winning streak. And if you actually look at some of the quality of opponents that they played, yeah. and he's like, they they haven't beat a ranked team during that stretch. They played three
1: ranked teams, and two, they've lost to two of them.
0: Yeah, he's like, they haven't beat a ranked team during that stretch. The last time they beat a ranked team was Gonzaga. Oh,
1: by the way, that was at a
0: neutral site, and Gonzaga's like... Yeah, it's the Barclays Center. They're definitely going to be a number one yeah. seed. Uh, I mean,
1: well, with your first sentence there was... It's like I almost had to like like ask you to stop and start over again cuz it's like yeah we put too much into this 19 game winning streak like yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah just we we've, we've obviously casually just gotten way too invested into how good this 19 game win streak has been like okay sure so Now Tennessee against Pat Forty and Tennessee against Kentucky great I mean memories. it's is I'm excited for March Madness. So this is if, if the SEC wins a national championship and it's not Kentucky like if LSU or Tennessee win a national championship in basketball the SEC is gonna. I'm just never gonna stop flexing my muscle on social media.
0: Can I say it now? LSU's OSU, not winning a national title.
1: I don't know, man. I mean, like, ugh, I don't know. We'll see. Maybe not. Why do you say that? Because they they traditionally haven't been in the running for it. They don't no, have Shaq. I
0: just, like, I, I just I, I'm not like a huge believer in the teams that like haven't just don't have the, the players who have been there recently. I mean, just not even yeah. being in the tournament, just not having that tournament experience at all. Like, I understand Tennessee got knocked out in the second round last year, the round of 32.
1: But, yeah, it's Loyola. It. Yeah, but
0: at the same time, that's at least tournament experience and like knowing how to game plan for all that. That's a different discussion for a different time. No, but I agree. I, but
1: also, they're not going to be Duke. You're right. <laughs> it's like probably, Duke yeah. is really, really good. Yeah. So we
0: said future us. Is going to be talking to TJ Moe. We still don't know if we're talking to TJ Moe. We're going to pretend like we're talking to TJ Moe. Fingers so, crossed. Let's break for our interview with our good friend that we obviously have built a great relationship with, Future Us has, with TJ Moe. We're not excited to be, joined, to be joined in by a very, very special guest. Uh, if you're a Mizzou fan and you listen to us, I'm sure you probably listen to him too. Uh, it is former Mizzou slot receiver slash current co-host of The Hardline on 590 The Fan, in st louis it is tj mo tj let's start with the elephant in the room here um your twitter biopic is clear eyes full hearts can't lose tell us what the best season of friday night lights is and if you say season two we'll just cut the rest of this interview
2: (laughs) i'm a season one guy i think the introduction was great i think when they went wrong is when he switched schools that was terrible and when they went away from anything tim riggins i think you could have done the entire show on Tim Riggins alone, and the, the, yes. the show would have never been canceled. I think it would still be going.
0: Say it for the people in the back. Yes, absolutely. No, no questions <laughs> about that. Although I think there is a there is a case to be made. I think Michael Jordan, Michael B. Jordan, like had his good moments there. I think Vince's character was pretty likable. I'm just, I, season four and five kind of got a tough rap, but I think it was still pretty good.
2: I needed less Matt Saracen and more Tim Riggins. That's what I needed.
0: Oh, let me get, get that tattoo it. in my heart. <laughs> uh, so the, the real elf in the room here obviously the the stuff with the mizzou bowl band um you were really vocal about this about your opinion it's just that mizzou kind of got hosed by the ncaa i know it's been a couple weeks now but I, i'm guessing that you're still pretty fired up about this
2: yeah i have dave matter on my podcast this morning talking about it all again just because i uh, dave matter st louis post-dispatch he, he's a, he's a b-writer for all mizzou sports and um we we're just discussing the zoo. I think it was Friday, Thursday, Friday of last week, filed their intent to appeal. And so this wasn't even their appeal. So they just have to tell the NCAA, we plan to appeal. You have to do that within 30 days. And then the NCAA comes back. And I think they have another 30 days from there to, t- to give their official appeal to the NCAA. From that point, according to the uh, infractions on committee appeals website, supposed to be around 110 days which anybody who's ever dealt with the NCAA realizes there's no such thing as a timeline they'll be ready when they're ready I think the Notre Dame case ended up being around 14 months um before anything was really decided now that was a little bit different it seemed even a little bit more simplistic because they were just vacating wins but uh, it, it is a, an ongoing situation with Missouri and, and the more you talk to the people close to Missouri Barry Odom and Jim Sturk and these guys Maybe it's a great show, but it sure feels like they think they're going to get the the um, sanctions reduced, which leads to why they're so upset that Tennessee and some of these other SEC schools are trying to post their players. They think the bowl ban is going to be lifted, in which case the players wouldn't be allowed to leave.
1: Yeah. So speaking to that, like, what is what is the the level of confidence around the program administration and fan base on this appeal being successful, especially with the abuse of discretion blueprint other universities have used prior to this.
2: Yeah, no, uh, exactly right. That That is what Old Miss, the abuse of discretion. So your issue is how are you going to frame this? You can argue when you say abuse of discretion, what you have to then cite is that they misapplied a rule, right? That's what Ole right. Miss did, and and they said, okay, this rule, you abused your discretion on this rule in particular, and therefore we should have this ban lifted. Well, the NCLite didn't actually – uh, misapply any rules. It, it's within their um, the the context and all the, like they, they have things that are slotted for the different levels of their infractions. So I'm sure they will take a swing at that, but I don't know that that's necessarily their best avenue. The best avenue is to argue precedent, and the issue with that is that the NCAA says, well, one no one case is like the next. So the, you're in a rough spot with the NCAA, where you know that they have their committee that's going to listen to your appeal but that there's there's no consistency whatsoever and you, your bigger issue is this what would be the most logical thing to do is say okay if you're going to reduce it then what do you take off well the well the, the craziest infraction or, or excuse me the craziest punishment for this violation is the bull ban if you gave everything else but you didn't give a bull ban missouri would say eh, all right that sucks but we can live with it but because you put the bull ban on, everybody's pissed, and they say this is crazy. That's an abuse of discretion. There's no precedent for this, and we're going to appeal immediately. Well, the problem is, is if you lift the bull ban immediately, they're admitting that they screwed up. And and are they actually going to do that? I think that's your problem, right? But right. The, it would be it would be very weird if you came out and said, okay, well we'll we'll give you some more unofficial visits, and we'll give you some more uh, official visits, and you can have two of your scholarships back. Well, then, but you're still giving us a bull ban? That doesn't really <laughs> right. add up. So it's, going to be, it's going to be really interesting to see. You would think if they reduce it at all, it would be the bowl ban, but it would also, that, that wouldn't be a good way for the NCAA to save face. They would basically be admitting that they screwed up, and we know the NCAA doesn't like to do that.
0: TJ, that's a that's a really good point. I that's when all this stuff was first coming out. I said to all those who are assuming that this is going to be overturned, you're also assuming that the NCAA is going to admit fault, and we know from past investigations that is not a very likely scenario. For you, yeah, exactly. I'm curious from from a personal standpoint, your like your proximity to this, and when all of this started at Mizzou, and I know this this kind of if I'm not mistaken, this kind of came to the forefront around like 2014, right around that time. Um, when all this was going down and there was the academic fraud. I know that you weren't necessarily there for that, but what sort of insight did you have while all this stuff was happening, maybe with players that obviously you were teammates with, that you were maybe keeping in touch with, or did you just find out about all of this stuff when everybody else kind of did?
2: No, I knew I knew about the infractions and uh, the process, but I was blindsided like everybody else with, with the – so there, there's two different things. There's a committee – that does the investigation, who basically assured Missouri, hey, it's no big deal. You're going to get something, but it's not a huge deal. And then you have the four-person panel of the Committee on Infractions who actually hands down the punishment, and they're the people independent of the people who investigated the uh, violations who handed this down, and that's crazy. Missouri didn't have a whole lot of contact with them. And so, you know, the, the, the girl's name is Yolanda Kumar. She was the tutor there. And she, she threw out a few names on Twitter afterwards. Maddie Mock was one of the names she threw out. Brad McIntyre. <laughs> I played with both those guys. Um, and, and there's no confirmation any which way. They say there were, you know, 12 total students, nine of which competed in uh, games, uh, in, in competition after this stuff was going on. And so seven of them were football players. She didn't name all of them, but those were a couple that she did. Uh, the, the thing is <laughs> – and this is it's a terrible argument, but it's true. Like, Missouri should be glad she's gone. Their, their GPA hit, like, the high, they had, like, 58 guys over a 3.0. If, if she was doing their homework, she wasn't doing a very good job. She sucks. <laughs> the GPA <laughs> is way higher now.
1: <laughs> that's that's oh, the best that's... answer anyone's, anyone's given on this entire, entire topic, TJ. That's fantastic.
0: So that's a good point because the silver linings of this thing, I mean, that's 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 one of them. And when you have a situation like this where I think afterwards Marlar and I just kind of both came to the consensus of this just kind of sucks for Mizzou. And there's really not a whole lot yeah. of good that's going to come of this because even if they do get the bowl band lifted, it's still not necessarily the best look for the program, all that stuff. But I think that one of the positives that has come of this has been Barry Odom coming into his leader coming into his own as a leader, at least in the public eye, where he's calling out Tennessee for going after his players and he's saying, I'm gonna fight for my guys and this is, you know, we're gonna fight this, we're gonna do all that we can. I know that you have long been a very big advocate of Barry Odom. So I I know I'm preaching the choir here, but how how much have you enjoyed kind of seeing this side come out on a national stage?
2: Uh, I think it's been great. To go back to your first point, you said, you know, it may not be a good look for Missouri. I actually disagree. If if this had just been like a ho-hum violation, I think Missouri would have been way worse off because it would have just been at the bottom of the screen you'd have seen Missouri violations again, and everybody's like, geez, how many times is Missouri going to be in the news for violations? But instead, sure. they got slapped with some ridiculous uh, uh, punishment based on – Innocent violations, and now everybody's on Missouri's side. I don't know anybody that's looking at Missouri other than a victim here, which is great, It actually kind of helped. Right. If they end up getting uh, the bull ban reduced, I actually think it's going to help the overall outlook. As far as uh, Odom, he knows when to pick his battles, and he knows that the you know the anybody outside of the NCAA is actually on his side here, so it gives him a license to say things like he said. He's well aware, you know, he, he is, he's pretty smart with how that stuff goes. So he knows that he has a license to say a lot of different things, call out individuals for doing things because he has the public on his side. You know, Missouri's in a weird spot because there's a little bit of a wrong place, wrong time thing going on here. And that is that, one, they have Carol Cartwright, who is she's a part of a committee that's trying to uh, double down on – all the academic infractions and saying, look, these academic violations have to stop and they're pushing for uh, stronger punishments. Well, she's on that, but also on this committee. And, and none of that, like none of that stuff is to be taken seriously. It's just their opinion. And so she's pushing for something that doesn't exist. That's, that's strike number one. The second thing is after this FBI investigation, that Condoleezza Rice report came out. This was like November. And Missouri is really the first notable school to have violations and the punishment come down after that. So if they're going to change the way they do things and how they punish, and Missouri's the first school, they should have just put that in the report. Right? If, like, instead of siding side by side, hey, North Carolina did this, but it's different because this, then everybody in Missouri is like, yeah, except you created a fake class. What do you mean? (laughs) It's different because North Carolina's infinitely worse. That's how it's different. Like, if you don't want us to compare – the two situations don't cite one that's infinitely worse and then say but don't compare it to that you just you put them side by side what are we supposed to do
1: you should have just
2: written that hey precedence changing sorry wrong place wrong time and we probably would have said well that sucks but we'll move on
1: that is one of the more logical bits of um reaction i think that like anyone said on this it's good um speaking of like just anger uh, we're gonna move into uh, to another team. Is Tennessee now Missouri's biggest conference rival? And also, is there one team, if you're a Missouri fans, that you like less than Tennessee? Because like, not to be a person of the moment, but has Tennessee now become Missouri's biggest conference rival?
2: Yeah. So there was a uh, I don't know her name, but there was a reporter for Tennessee, and I don't know if she worked for the Athletic or Two Forty Seven. So I have no idea. So whatever, you guys may know who it is. Where when Missouri got into that little tiff. Um, on the basketball court, and it wasn't even Sophie Cunningham, who's the star on the women's basketball team, but she said something, to the like she claps next to the coach or whatever, and the, the reporter tweeted out, and she was like, respect the summit. And everybody in Missouri is saying, did a reporter oh. just tweet out to respect the summit and you still have a credential? And so right. that, was, that was obviously not the start of it, but that sort of added to it. And there's a guy in town, Ben Fredrickson, who also works with St. Louis Post-Dispatch, who's been on this Tennessee rivalry thing for a while now. The first time we ever played, I played in this game. It was 2012. We went to four overtimes and we beat them in in Knoxville. And then, you know, you've had your little tiffs, the Derek Dooley thing's in play now, obviously, and and Barry Odom sure wasn't afraid to run it up on them. You know, so I think so. I, I think the only thing that will ever keep Tennessee from acknowledging that they really don't care for Missouri, is that they look down on Missouri, and for good reason, right? Historically, Tennessee is a blue blood. Missouri was the doormat of college football for about 30 years between, you know, 1970 and 2000 before Gary Pinkle resurrected the program. So Tennessee really looks down on Missouri. I mean, Tennessee right now has the best basketball team in the country, and uh, the loss against Kentucky notwithstanding here, I still think they're going to make a Final Four run. And they have a football program that they can claim Peyton Manning and national championships and that everybody should respect the hell out of Tennessee and that we'll be back as soon as we find the right coach. That's their argument, and it's a good one. But that doesn't mean that you don't have a rivalry brewing right here with Missouri because I don't think either school likes the other very much, and it shows when you get out on the field. And just because that you guys don't stack up side-by-side side historically doesn't mean it's not real.
1: Well, it's hard to it's hard to consider it a rivalry, TJ, when Missouri has dominated them five of the past seven years. So I'm just gonna throw that out there. Um, so I, I will, will say claim, this. So yes, I, we I, will
2: claim the modern day, but they uh, they got us in history he, by quite a lot.
1: That's fair. So um, I, I've said this several times on here before with our audience. Uh, my best friends from from um, St. Charles, Missouri. I've I've gone to a lot of Mizzou games with them, and uh, you know, big fan of the fan base, all that kind of stuff. So, that being said, I know Missouri, Missouri does get, you know, kind of crapped on a lot with SEC fans. What's one stereotype or narrative about Missouri that you're, you're tired of hearing since they've joined the SEC and that is flat out wrong?
2: Oh, geez. That's a tough one because most of them are right. Um, <laughs> uh, so, <clears throat> the, here's the one that's wrong that is only half wrong. <clears throat> below, like, <clears throat> excuse me, below, like, if you go about an hour south of St. Louis, those people fit right in in the SEC. Nobody has any teeth. Most of them only have one shoe. You know, it's like they don't have the internet. Like, all they fit right in. But because of Kansas City and St. Louis, it is, St. Louis and uh, the, the state of Missouri itself is viewed as not the south. That is true. But going an hour south of here, that is the – I mean, you might as well be driving through Tuscaloosa. It's. I mean, it oh, is pretty hot.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. That I, I think a lot of a lot of places really are are guilty of that, whether they want to admit admit it or not. So it's good to hear you come out and actually, like put some, no, put it's some faith in it. No,
2: true. Everybody's married to their family members. Very few teeth involved. It's just the reality.
0: Yeah, I think I think downstate Illinois can can relate to that uh, on many levels <laughs> as well. Um, yeah, that's right. Shift shifting gears a little bit, Drew Locke. Uh, I know you're you're a believer. Should he be the first quarterback taken in the draft?
2: Yeah, it's a great question. Um, I, two answers here. He's not. He's not going to be the first pick in the draft unless somebody moves ahead of number six because the Giants are going to take Dwayne Haskins. So if somebody really definitely wants Drew Locke and they think that you know that, that, um, that there's a few teams that that could be involved here. I think Washington, who sits at 15, they could be involved here. Uh, I think. John Elway, John Elway at the senior bowl told him that he's going to be a top yeah. 10 pick. And he knows that because he holds the 10th pick, right? So you, you have, you know, 15, 13, 10, 7, 6, 4. those are all potential landing spots. I think the Jaguars are at seven. Uh, the, if, if they unload Derek Carr, I could see that being a potential landing spot. Although albeit, I think they kind of like Kyler Murray over there. So, he, he more than likely is going to be the second or third quarterback taken, I think. Um, yeah, it's interesting. I actually think Kyler Murray could be the first quarterback taken. I think Dwayne Haskins could be the first quarterback taken. I don't think Drew Locke will be because I don't think anybody is overly infatuated to the point where they're afraid everybody else has to jump as well uh, or would like to jump as well in order to, to move into a, a top spot to do that. I think his most likely landing spot is number 10. The the tough thing is this. When you have a quarterback who really hasn't won much, that should always scare you. And I'm a Mm -hmm. Drew Locke guy. I I think he lights up the room when he walks in. Like, you know when Drew Locke walks in a room. And he does a really good job with his teammates. Um, He's a guy that throws an unbelievable spiral. By the way, all of this—I'm saying this just for anybody who's going to listen to this in a month. This is pre-combine. He could come out there and change everything I just said if he goes out there and lights up the combine. True. But I—I I think Drew's a good athlete. I think he's a guy. He had basketball scholarships as well. He is a good athlete. For you know, I know Stephen A. Smith is is pretty sure that Dwayne Haskins is a better <laughs> runner than a uh, passer. But Drew Locke actually fits that mold. Of the quarterbacks, he, Drew Locke is more athletic than Dwayne Ask. Obviously, not more athletic than Kyler Murray. But Drew Locke is a really good athlete. And when you look at John Elway and what he's done over his career, right? The guy that he, like, he was infatuated with Paxton Lynch. Why is that? Because he kind of resembled John Elway. Drew Locke's got a little of that too. Drew Locke, John Elway was 6 foot 3, 215 pounds. Drew Locke is a shade under 6 foot 3, 225 pounds and he's a great athlete. John Elway loves guys that look like John Elway for good reason because that's how John Elway, Elway succeeded, right? So I would be very surprised if the 10th pick comes around and Drew Locke's name is not called.
0: All right. That I mean, that, that I I was kind of wondering if you were gonna say sh- uh, could, if you were gonna say that yeah he should be taken ahead of Haskins. But what you say I, I think that makes a little bit more sense just given where we're at and just the the likelihood of even considering that somebody gets crazy and decides that Locke is the guy. But I want to ask you about a question about your your pro career because I've always wondered this. So in twenty thirteen Patriots pick you up how many stories in the next like year or so were written about you being the next, the next Wes Welker?
2: Oh, uh, I don't think there was a story written about me that didn't have Wes's name. In it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> now, now,
2: I mean, we're both slow. We're both short. We're both white. No um, gritty, that, gritty. <laughs> that's right. We both made all of our free throws. It, we were, you know, <laughs> sons. um, Yes, yeah, that's, that is where, we're, no, that's, that was a, it was a fun time. Actually, the, I was only up there for a few months because I tore my Achilles so quickly in OTAs. Oh, yeah. But the amount of West stories they love, they adore West up there. Chad O'Shea was the wide receiver coach. I think he's going down to Miami as the offensive coordinator now. Um, he's going with the uh, – I'm blanking on his name right now, but the, the pseudo-defensive coordinator who just took the Miami head coaching job, I think he's bringing Chad O'Shea with him because it was kind of a little bit of a dead-end spot for now. He's been the receiver coach for a long time, and Josh McDaniels is – you know, I, I think he's just going to be in line to take over for Belichick, whenever that is. So it was going to be a while if, 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 before he could be a coordinator if he was going to stay in New England. So he's taken off. And he said that West would sit in a room – and you're like six – he would sit in a room, and they'd have a meeting, and his entire page would be full of notes. Like, he was the most studious player that they ever had there. They talked about how high of an IQ he was. And this will – well, maybe it wouldn't surprise you. It surprised the hell out of me because I listened to Randy Moss talk when he was a player, and he struggled to formulate a full sentence. And they said Randy Moss is probably the highest IQ guy to ever come through that building as far as football. He, is, he they, Part of the Patriots' system was created, like the verbiage of it, it was – you know, the, the Patriots, if you've ever seen their playbook, and I know most people haven't, it's like a foot thick, right? It's because the, they started with Tom Brady and Bill Belichick back in 2001, and then they've just never thrown anything out of the playbook. Why would you? Same head coach, same quarterback. So the, the, the playbook just grows every year when they put new stuff in. They never shrink it. And uh, so part of their offense was was somewhat complex, and Randy says – hey, why don't you just do this? And to this day, they still use that verbiage in the offense to simplify it, and he would do things like that all the time. I mean, routinely he would walk in. They, they never one time got a 12 men in the huddle penalty when Randy Moss was around because when he would see something happening, he would step three steps out of the huddle. He was the first guy to see it. I mean, just little things like that that you're like, you know, I know he always talked about cash money and he pretended to moon the Packers fans, but he was pretty brilliant.
0: TJ, um, I – I want to bring this conversation back to you because I, I have a goal in mind and what I was what I was trying to get to here. Um, so oh yeah, I'm you were sure talking you... about
2: West Walker and I told you about Randy Moss.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so stop dodging the I'm question, sure TJ. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so um, I'm not sure if you heard, but we basically got Aaron Murray um, a roster spot in the Alliance of American Football league. So oh, I'm, yeah? I'm just saying. Yeah, I mean, that was, I, like, I floated it out there to him, you know, a couple things happen, and then he ends up on the Atlanta team, whatever. Um, I'm not going to take credit for it, but it was all me. Um, we could do the same thing for you. Your Wikipedia page says that you are currently a free agent. Is that something you might be interested in?
2: Well, look, anybody who, uh, when, when you have free agent in your profile, when, when you haven't played in six years, that means nobody wants you. That doesn't mean you retired. <laughs> Otherwise, it says you retired. So, if somebody gave me a phone call and said, "Hey, can you still run?" My answer is no, but I'll try to play if you want. Uh, no, that would be fun. <laughs> I see a lot of guys. I saw Zach Stacy run around out there the other day. He's the first hundred yard rusher in uh, aAF history. Well done, Zach. They actually got some players out there. Did you guys they see do. Did you see the uh, the tweet floating around there There's some I didn't even know who they were talking about. There was somebody that averaged like one and a half yards per carry over. Thirty six carries. And they were saying how many average humans could do that. And my thesis is that I think the average human in an NFL game would fumble more times than yards gained. I think that's oh, probably yeah. true.
0: Yeah, I think that's hundred percent true. I, I'm not I'm not like even I, gonna I'm not even gonna come up with an argument like for that. That's
1: even right if you were
2: me. a fullback and it were like say you were running behind the two thousand sixteen Cowboys offensive line with Zach Martin and Tyron Smith and all those guys. And it were block, blocked perfectly. I still think you'd fumble. Out of 36 carries, I think you'd fumble 25 and you'd lose 40 yards.
1: Yeah. I would tell you right now I would run backwards.
2: (laughs) (laughs) So anyway, uh, to answer your question, if somebody really wanted me to play in the AF, which they don't, then uh, sure, I'd be happy to talk to
0: them. (laughs) Sweet. All right. Well, we will keep that in mind. We want to get you out on. We do this with every every guest that we have on. I, I can't believe this is the first time that we've had you on because I feel like You are kind of like right up our alley in terms of people that obviously just, you know, look at this thing in a a little bit of a different way. But we we want to get you out on on Family Feud. Uh, If if you're not aware, basically it is Marler asking a bunch of rapid fire questions to you. And you can answer with one word if you want. um, Or you could answer with like a Wes Welker
1: answer and just talk about how great Wes (laughs) Welker is. That's cool too you got it (laughs) all right so it's gonna be it's gonna be randomly themed it's 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 all the important questions we haven't asked yet um but yeah we again appreciate you being on the pod been a longtime fan first time caller tj so uh are you ready to play family feud
2: you got it i'm in
1: okay here we go start the clock in three two one what's your favorite sec stadium or campus not in como
2: Oh man, South Carolina. I love South Carolina. I don't know why. I don't like South Carolina as a state. I don't really like any of their players uh, or much about them, but their stadium was pretty freaking awesome.
1: All right. I got a really bad sunburn of that 2012 game. Uh, Best Missouri quarterback in the last 20 years? Chase Daniel, no question. Love it. Uh, Best pizza in St. Louis? Ooh, I like Emo's, but you guys don't live in – well, you've been to St. Charles, so
2: you probably know. Emo's is fantastic. It is uh, it is the uh, thin crust, but it's – I don't know. Go go someday, order buffalo chicken pizza, and you will not regret it.
1: TJ, it's, it's very good. It's very popular. I, I prefer Stefanina's, I'm just going to say.
2: Oh, man. See, I'm not a Stefanina's guy. I, I've been a few times, and it's disappointing, man. It's disappointing. I'm just telling
1: you. Right, I'm going to dock 10 points. On to the next, next question. question. Uh, <laughs> the, the, the incident of life um, What's one class or subject that you wish You were given the answers to Oh
2: dude um, Calculus the Calculus isn't that fun yeah. I still don't know how to get a derivative Do you?
1: I don't even know what derivative <laughs> is Okay if you were a character on The Office uh, Who would you be?
2: I don't watch The Office I know uh, oh. I'm a fanatic, but What do you want me to do? I, I would be Tim Riggins that's all I got.
1: <laughs> that's, that's fine. That's actually, a really good answer. You saved yourself. Got some points. Uh, who is the songbird of our generation?
2: Oh, man. That is a tough one. I mean, I'm a big Carly Ray Jepsen fan, but probably nice. Justin Timberlake. And I think that's less of a songbird uh, and more of like a there's never been a better entertainer in our entire... You could argue in history, but he does everything well. He's good on Jimmy Fallon. He can give you the Super Bowl performance. He can host a talk show. I don't think there's a better entertainer. The only one with even a, a minute argument is Jamie Foxx, and I don't think he's particularly close.
1: That's a strong backup answer. First off, I tried to tee this up for you. The answer was Nelly, but okay. Um, next question. Uh, yeah, I do like Nelly. <laughs> what? what uh, what's more corrupt, the NCAA or the officiating at Allen Fieldhouse?
2: <laughs> that is a great question. So uh, I think – the answer is the NCAA because they enable the officiating in Allen Fieldhouse. Go look mm-hmm. at Kansas this year. Why are they losing? Because finally the FBI got involved with the NCAA, and they tried right. along Kansas to pay off their reps, and guess what? Losses started coming. What happened?
1: Yeah, ding, ding, ding. Got that one right. Uh, all right, next question. Who's the hottest Disney princess?
2: Oh, dude. Uh, so the only one that comes to my mind right now is Elsa, and that's because I have a four-year-old. Niece who runs around singing Let It Go on repeat, Ooh. and it came out like three years ago, but she still does it. So um, let's, hit, let's hit up Elsa.
1: I do the same. Uh, what is the best movie of 2018?
2: Uh, you know what? Uh, <laughs> I did not see Creed 2, but that's the one that I was, was most good. excited about that I never got around to. Creed 2 is probably, and it came out towards the end of the year, so there's probably some recency bias. But I do. I really. But you never saw movie. it. Right. So I'm going to go with that one <laughs> in hopes that it's better than the rest of them that I did see.
0: Wait, TJ. All this moves, comes like back it. to you. This comes back to you just not liking Michael B. Jordan. Why don't you like Michael B. Jordan?
2: <laughs> I think he's great. Uh, you know what he was really good in is. Um, and in fact, it took a turn that I wasn't expecting. Black Panther. I just watched that Black on Panther, Netflix. Yeah. yeah, a few weeks ago. He was great in that. He's. He is a. Uh, he is a good villain, but I like him more being the good guy. I think.
1: All right, guys, the enough, clock is enough. ticking. We have three questions left. All right, do it. It's not a real clock. It's fine. Okay. Uh, best <laughs> <laughs> highlight reel or career moment for you? The touchdown versus San Diego State in 2010, or just you putting on a show at 2012 SEC Media Days. <laughs> well, you said a highlight tape.
2: Can it be a highlight tape if you only have one highlight? So
1: I mean, it, you you had some you had some good games, TJ. <laughs>
2: If you need more than one piece on the tape, you're gonna go have to go with SEC media I talk a whole lot better than I run.
1: I don't know. Your whole sophomore year was pretty impressive, but yeah, yeah, I, I like the answer either way. Um, if you're into four-yard catches, great. <laughs> that's, that's true. Um, okay. Last week on SEC, this morning you discussed boy bands and which were acceptable and cool. So, yes. which boy band member there's are a solid you? Solid line
2: of demarcation here. There is. If you you the, there there is only one line to be had. 98 Degrees and Bebe oh. Mac are on the wrong side of this line. If you like them, you're an idiot. If you like Instinct yeah, Backstreet that. Boys, you're, you're pretty mainstream, you're normal. I think that's a really solid line of demarcation. If you veer either way, you're a total
1: freak. <laughs> okay, so if you were a member of one of those bands, who would you be?
2: Uh, Justin Timberlake. Not because I can sing mm-hmm. or dance or have curly hair, but I just like him the most, and he gets to marry Jessica Biel. Who doesn't like that?
1: That's a very good answer. We're going to finish off with one last question for Family Feud for TJ Moe. Flat out, can Mizzou win the SEC East next year?
0: Oh, <laughs> oh that was <laughs> that so a little strong,
1: but I like it. Let's add up these points <laughs> real quick. Um, let's see if I can get these derivatives out of here. That is 169 <laughs> points, TJ. That is a very good score. Very good score. Nice. Wow.
0: Wow, very, very nice, TJ. Uh, we really do appreciate you coming on. We're going to have to do this way more often because I know that Mizzou has just gotten a whole lot more interesting in the last like month or so, uh, but we're definitely going to have to have you back on during the offseason, maybe sometime during the season as well. Uh, great stuff. Uh, wish you the best of luck with all of your endeavors. And I can confirm now, after having he- heard you come on this, I think you are a better talker than a runner. I'm just going to say it.
2: Love, well, you watched me run my 40 at the Combine and you came to any other conclusion, you too are free. So,
0: uh,
2: anyway, thank you all for having me. A lot of fun. You got my number. Call me anytime.
0: Really appreciate TJ for... For coming on, getting a with the fingers crossed, like I said, future us will know if that actually happened. Yeah, this, that's a weird sort of podcasting <laughs> trick. It's like in uh, in, a- in acting, actually. Like, when you shoot a movie, you don't shoot the scenes in order. You just kind of shoot them out of place. I'm nice. glad you brought that up. Nice Because little we're going to move into
1: the Oscar. And there actually was an Oscar-winning film that, I think it was, won an Oscar, that was shot chronologically by Steven Spielberg. Do you know what movie it was? Ooh. I found this out today. E.T.? Saving Private Ryan. Ah, They shot it scene by scene. Didn't
0: know that. That's a fun little fact. We have the Oscars couch football edition. I'm excited for this. This is really good. This was a last-minute idea, a little peel behind the onion. We've been working on this for months. (laughs) I have thought about this at one point or another. But I'm glad we're finally getting to do this today because the Oscars... AKA the Academy Awards. Let's be honest. We all just call it the Oscars anyway.
1: Do you, do you watch the, like, when when the Academy, I know some people, it's like a big thing. I, one of my closest friends, Justin Davis, told me this last night. And he's like, no offense, Justin, but you're not like the most fancy person I've ever met in my life. And he was saying how, he's like, I make sure every year I watch all the nominations for Best Picture. Are you are you no. like that? Do you do that? Yeah. No, 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 no. It's the like,
0: way it works is, and, and I'm sure like 75% of America would agree with me on this, the way it works is,
1: you see the nominees for Best Picture, and you're like,
0: "Oh, I did see one of those." That yeah, right. Out. I hope that one wins.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, okay, I was wondering because that, I, I don't. Some of these movies the past few years that have won have been. Tell you what, they they're not anything I've ever seen on The Office. They're not as good as The Sandlot, and they're definitely not as good as Fast and Furious. You had me until the last one.
0: That's a good movie. You really did. All right, we've got a few of these, and I'm gonna let you fire away with these because. I'll be honest, you have the majority of these. I have. I only have two, but I, I think I saved two two of the best ones for the end. So Yeah.
1: Okay, so... so start um, with Nick Saban here. So Nick Saban is basically it's basically just like SEC players, coaches, personalities.
0: Just college football in general.
1: It's yeah, not just actually, actually, Yeah, SEC. true. Um, and they're, who would their comparison be uh, for that's like an actor and all that kind of stuff or a movie? Nick Saban is Denzel Washington. The reason why is because he's insufferable, like Denzel was in Training Day, for sure. That was a lot. He was kind of a jerk. Um, but also, both are always at the top of their game, and somehow always get snubbed for like awards at the end of the year, like Coach of the Year. Saban never gets it. I think he's only won it once. And Best Actor, Denzel's only won it once.
0: Most underrated sports movie of all time. He got game.
1: Oh, that's good. Yeah, it's pretty good. Pretty okay. underrated. And the, his in, his was thing in John Q, should have won an Oscar. I feel like that movie was great. John it was Q. really sad.
0: Oh, so John, sad. John,
1: I didn't. I don't remember thinking John Q was that great. I was like 14. I don't know. Probably, I could be wrong. Yeah, he's, yeah. But he's also, he's put out enough movies out there, like, where at some point he should have won an Oscar. And for, I tra- I didn't, I didn't I, training days overrated Anyway, go ahead. Uh, you've got, this is a good one, too. Um, this, this speaks for itself. Do you even need to, I don't think you need to explain, explain this, but mm-hmm. Bill Snyder is Betty White? Yeah. I mean, both lovable, respectable, and also both in, like, I don't know, the year 2007, collectively across America, everyone they became, like, relevant again, and everyone was like, wait, they're still alive? Every single person said it, guaranteed. I mean, just millions of people across the country. And
0: I think everybody has sort of unofficially adopted them as their grandparents.
1: Yeah. I mean, the whole state of Kansas, I think, has for for Bill Snyder, for sure. Luckily, we have Les moving in now as the uncle, so.
0: Les Les is the young, (laughs) cool uncle. Yeah.
1: What a What a state. I'm going to say slumdog millionaire is Clemson. Um, Explain that. So here's why. Because I feel like Clemson is it's, they're really good, but they kind of just, for the last several years, they've kind of flown under the radar, and much like Slumdog Millionaire did, and then they kind of pick up some steam and get a lot of, like, popularity, and, like, nobody, nobody, dis, like, there's a lot of, like, arguing when it goes on to, like, whoever wins best picture, like, this movie sucked, I didn't see The Shape of Water, it's about a woman falling in love with a fish, that sounds stupid, and no one, no one, like, when Slumdog Millionaire won, there was not a single person who was like, that movie was awful, it was overrated, I hated it, I don't think anyone says this, that about Clemson either, Clemson's Fun for the average fan. I had initially
0: gone... I I went in a different direction for Clemson when I first thought about this, but then I remember that uh, Clemson actually did have a national title back in, like, 81. 81, yeah. So it didn't count. It would have been more appropriate if Clemson hadn't won a national title because in 2016, Leonardo DiCaprio won his first Oscar, and Leonardo DiCaprio was... Also, somebody that many viewed as one of the best in the game, one of the best That's programs good. in the country. And then Clemson wins its first national title in 2016. Boom, perfect. Um, but that actually didn't work because Clemson had the win in 81. But let's just pretend that didn't happen and then both of them could work.
1: Quick quiz, Connor. The coach for Clemson in 81 was Danny Ford. What SEC school did he coach later? It's a random trivia.
0: Goodness. This will blow
1: your mind. Yeah, I, I had no idea he, taught, he, he coached at Clemson. I just only knew because I saw two pictures and he always wore his hat like an idiot. Uh, it was Arkansas. I
0: was going to say Kentucky. It
1: was close. It's pretty much the same state. You know
0: me with my SEC history. No, I mean uh, I'm
1: just, I just he I forgot that he he won a national championship and then he was like an afterthought when he got the SEC. I thought it was weird. I like your your Clemson comparison better to be honest. Thank you. Um I'm going to say okay, so this one I like a lot. Quentin Tarantino is Notre Dame. I don't know if Quentin Tarantino is even up for an Oscar this year, but I'm just going to say He was like a really big thing in my childhood. I always heard about all of his movies. He was supposed to be like this genius. And now he's still relevant, I guess, and people just kinda give him like, you know, a lot more credit than he than he should get. And that's exactly how Notre Dame is.
0: Here's another good point off that. Quentin Tarantino, everything he does is very weird. Very Yeah. (laughs) Notre Dame is just this independent (laughs) conference with his own TV contract with NBC. And nobody like nobody can quite resemble what Notre Dame is. Uh, they're undefeated. The they just the beat best. Air Force. <laughs> it's
1: like, yeah. okay. Uh, that's good though. That that's really good. Crimp. So I I appreciate that. I like this one better, to be honest. I think this is the best best one I made. Um, 2001 Miami. Can I I can say this one right? Yeah, no, you can say this. I I okay. talk. I have 2002 Miami in a later reference. We'll okay, to so to so 2001 Miami is Gladiator, and the reason why is this Gladiator one. I think like everyone kind of assumes and and agrees. That two thousand and one Miami's like the best football team, just ever compiled. Just the best football team of all time. Just so many great players, six first round draft picks, all that kind of stuff. I think actually it might have been six the next year. However, um, they were dominant the entire year. It was never even close. Two thousand Gladiator, which is obviously a great movie, it won best picture. Here's who Gladiator was up against, <laughs> Chuck a lot. What? That movie yep. was terrible. I Crouching, saw it in theaters and <laughs> fell asleep. Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. Isn't that Tarantino? No, it's it's a, a lot of names I can't pronounce. I'm looking at it. Uh, and Aaron Brockovich. Um, so, the, <laughs> it's like, when you think about those movies being up against Gladiator for Best Film, it's like, yeah, it's a no-brainer. It's Gladiator. In the same way, like when Miami went to the Rose Bowl and played Nebraska for the National Championship and beat them 38-7, to yeah, it was like equally as dominant. Ooh, here's an interesting question.
0: And I don't have an answer to this, but I'm curious if you do. Who is the Russell Crowe of college football? Like somebody in the 21st century Ooh. that was maybe considered the greatest in the sport, and then you haven't heard from him in the last like 10 years. And Charlie like, what Weiss. Happened to that guy. Yeah, Charlie Weiss would be a good one. Charlie. Yeah, that's. Charlie Weiss, in a couple of years. Yeah, cause he's. I mean. Oh, you know what, Mac Brown, but Mac Brown's back. Izzy, <laughs> Izzy though. Good point. Good point. Um, there's there is a name there. There's there's somebody there that I could probably come up with that like maybe Jim Trestle. That'd be a good one. Yeah, that, that's, that's off pretty good. the earth. But yeah, um,
1: I mean, I feel like Russell Crowe's had a longer like like he's been relevant for a longer period of time. Like Mac Brown would be somebody maybe like Christian Bale. Christian Bale like, is
0: still so relevant though, and so good. Yeah, I guess so.
1: He's like top five actor right now. Who would be the best child star? Let's just go with that because they drop out of relevance really quick.
0: Best child star dropped out of relevance. Oh, that's tough.
1: Yeah, we don't get into that. We could just do a whole ranking. That'll be next week. We'll, we'll put even more effort into <laughs> <Great> this. We'll rank child <laughs> actors next week. <laughs> next week we're going to absolutely trash on child <laughs> actors. It should be a lot of fun. Um, okay, the last one I have here is The Departed, or literally any Boston crime movies. I also, mm-hmm. okay, so like they're one of the same. All right. I compared those to Ohio State fans. It's like, we get it. We know you're always going to be around. you are going to keep coming out. Like, one of the Affleck brothers is going to come out with another movie where there's a lot of co-ops, like, up in Boston, all that kind of stuff. It's just, I think the only people that really like those anymore are, like, people that live in Boston, just like the only people that like Ohio State are people that live in Columbus. Fun fact,
0: um... I watched, uh, I know this isn't a Boston crime movie, but you just made me think of it by referencing the Affleck movies. I watched Gone Girl again last week. Oh, yeah. Jesus. Gone Girl really, really, if you've never listened to that book on tape, that's one of those books you should definitely listen to on tape as opposed to just reading the book. That'll take, (laughs) it's it's unbelievable how many hours of entertainment that provided me driving through central Nebraska, you would not believe. Um, But that movie, really, really good. Like yeah. Extraordinarily well done. Ben super Affleck is so up. perfect for that role. Super, super messed up. But I, that I don't I don't remember that movie
1: getting any any love. Did that
0: movie get? any It was really love? popular,
1: but I don't think it got. Well, because it's in that three year window of movies that are all stupid, that's where true. it's just like yeah. I mean, like who's the best who's the best artist out right now? Like, I don't know. Like the one that's the most emo and hipstery and whatever mm-hmm. that you wouldn't get. Like it's that whole thing. Oh, they, I, they I will do it say, with a record deal, so that's why they're really right. Good. It's like, I will right. I will say that you saying. Listening, to, you need to listen to that book on tape is one of my favorite things that's ever been said, <laughs> and only because like, because if, th- if you think about it, like people used to always, I've always had that argument, like, like oh yeah, you think the movie's good, like you should read the book, the book's way better, but like no, no, it's not. You know what I loved about the movie? There's no reading. It Took an hour and a half. It took a nap. <laughs> like nah, book on so, tape, man. But the book on tape, like that's what everything, like everything's gone to. In basically, basically entertainment's like it's all podcasts now. So I'm it's basically you. it's a book on tape. That's that's brilliant on on your part. Also, yeah. Gone Girl. I went on a date with somebody one time like four years ago from like Bumble or something and somebody complimented like you guys look like the couple um, from Gone Girl and I hadn't seen the movie and I didn't realize until like a week later when I finally saw the movie how messed up that (laughs) that statement (laughs) was. Really, we didn't date so that's good run your
0: life yeah when you're done listening to this podcast and maybe if you got a long road trip coming up go go get gone girl on on on, on audio on uh on, as the book on tape, i love trust that me. that's so good um all right those those are good i'm i'm very i'm very proud of those i think you well, you have two more i know i've got two more two more okay so tua is shawshank redemption and you're thinking to yourself wait a minute some people say shawshank redemption is the greatest of all time whatever that's a different debate but the, bait, the debate for this this current uh, discussion is Shawshank Redemption did not win best picture. People forget that. Yeah. 1995, Forrest Gump ends up winning best picture. Tua didn't win the Heisman. I have a feeling that 10, 15 years from now, we're going to look back at Tua's college career and be like, wait a minute, wait a minute. Why did he not win the Heisman his sophomore year? And it's not that, it's not that Kyler Murray is bad, necessarily. Forrest Gump's not bad. Forrest Gump's a classic. But it's Shawshank Redemption. I mean, like, come on. Why did we overthink this? So to me, that's kind of the comp. And then, oh, by the way, also in that year was Pulp Fiction was a nominee, and it did not. speak in of Tarantino, I told that's you that's incredible.
1: That's an incredible
0: year of movies. That's three years, and then Dwayne Haskins is like Pulp Fiction because Pulp
1: Fiction didn't win that year, and Forrest Gump did. So I mean, I think movies just gotten worse, or the people giving the nominations worse. Because I'm like looking through it now. So that was '94 that you said. 94 and then yeah, yeah it was the and 95 then, Academy so, Awards. But 95, 95 was Braveheart, that won, which is a fantastic movie, obviously, over Apollo 13 and Babe. Babe like, how, really? is Babe, <laughs> how is Babe? How was Babe nominated? Like, whatever. Anyway, yeah, um,
0: I, I could go on a rant about um, early to mid 90s sports movies and how it was the single best decade for them. Oh and yeah, a bit will ever be topped. And so I think maybe just movies in general were were that was kind of the the prime area for. Understanding them and evaluating, although we just talked about how should have won.
1: You know, it's uh, yeah, another good example on that one. Would have been ninety seven with Titanic versus Goodwill Hunting, because Titanic Ooh. could not have been more overrated, and Goodwill Hunting is fan, a fantastic movie.
0: Yeah, Goodwill Hunting is. Speaking of, yeah, of course we're gonna bring up another Boston movie at some point. Um, yeah, no, that that's that's an all timer. That's, yeah, that's top that's five really for good. me. Um, okay, this last one, this 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 is probably my best. Two thousand two Miami. Is La La Land in 2002? Oh, this is so good. Ohio State is Moonlight because the pass interference penalty <laughs> at the end of the national championship gives Ohio State another chance. They sc- they score, they force overtime. Warren Betty, and Faye Dunaway in 2017. They present Best Picture. As we know, La La Land gets the award. Oh wait, actually, you know what? That was Dude. supposed to be Emma Stone for Best Actress, and actually, Moonlight ends
1: up winning. That is. The best example I can come up. with. That's the best example that either of us came up with. That is that is perfect. That's so that's so on point. God, that was awkward. I forgot I watched that. La La Land was kind of overrated, but yeah. but that is such a perfect perfect example. That's really good. You win. Good. You get to celebrate. <laughs> well, you, everyone you thought win. La La Land was going to win anyway. Exactly. Like, that, that's they were an overwhelming favorite. That's just that's like good. Miami. Yeah. That's really good. Yeah,
0: that'll be our that'll be our walk off. Yeah, let's 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 move on to to fourth and wrong. We've yeah. had. We, we had, uh, we've we been getting really, really good fourth and wrong questions. If you've sent us one and we haven't got to them yet, apologies. Um, it's just, sorry, it's just like 1994 all over again. Yeah. Maybe your question is Pulp Fiction. Maybe it's Shawshank and Forrest Gump is just getting answered. I, I don't know. I'm, I'm sorry. We'll get to it. But for now, let's get to the best ones that we had for this week.
1: Okay, so we've got five questions this week submitted from social media on fourth and wrong. Uh, we been trying to put out those questions usually like on Sunday night, I want to say. Um, instead of Monday morning and not be so last minute. So make sure you look out for those and, and feed us some, uh, some good random questions. First question. What is the best pro wrestler from an sec school, which i i thought there was only one. So I added in there, uh, what is just your favorite wrestler in general? That's from Rogers Rangers on Instagram.
0: Who's the one? Wait. So I had like a two year wrestling stint, just like the rest of everybody from my generation. But what? I, yeah, like I was two? when I was two years. Yeah, like when I was like nine years old. That was about it. Oh, Yeah, sorry. Um, mine was a lot longer than that. Yeah, that's, well, that's good, but yeah, mine was a lot longer than that. I, the Rock is from the SEC region, although he we obviously went to Miami. Um, yeah. The Rock The Rock was my favorite back in the day. People's champ, come
1: on. So Goldberg was yeah, EGA. Yeah, Goldberg's the obvious
0: one. Okay, um, that, that I should have gotten. Goldberg a, also, Goldberg wasn't relevant during the two years that I watched, though. That's, that's, that's so, the
1: problem. I don't know how, I mean, I don't know how... First off, oh you I mean you watched it during like the Attitude Era. It's pretty pretty incredible. I'll tell you one thing. I used to love wrestling growing up, and also my favorite wrestler is Sting. Um just throw it out there. So my dad used to work out at this gym called Main Event Fitness in Atlanta, and it was owned by Lex Luger and Sting. And so Ooh. every time he would go in there, like I would just sit in the lobby and he like he'd work out for like an hour or whatever, and I'd just be sitting there. And it was it was where all the wrestlers worked out. So like, you'd go in, I'd be like sitting on the couch and be like raven which he introduced himself to me as that like as that name i was like your name's not raven um but like diving dallas page sting like rick flair all these people would just like you know filter in and out of there all of them wearing like little what do you call it um fanny packs i remember that being a big thing i don't know why but yeah so i was i was really big into wrestling connor still i mean we still get together and watch wrestlemania do you I mean, I don't take it seriously anymore, but yeah, <laughs> like it's, it's, it's fun and entertaining for the most part. I will say the most embarrassing thing I've done with wrestling was, I, there was a documentary that came out called uh, Monday Night Wars, and it was like a three-part documentary, and I tried to, I was like, I had been drinking this night, I tried to rent it, and I accidentally bought it, and it wasn't on my, my subscription, I was dog-watching for somebody, and it was like a $40 purchase that just is forever on their Comcast.
0: That sounds about
1: it was <laughs> yeah. All right, let's move on. Um, number two, favorite guilty pleasure song that was sent in from Alexander Nicole on Twitter.
0: Favorite guilty pleasure song? Oh man, that is really really tough. I'm gonna have to think about this one for a second. Um, I mean, my my guilty pr- pleasure, to be honest, while we're talking about the '90s is probably like 90s boy band stuff yeah. like, you could put that on at any given time and that's big around in my area because you know all these boy bands got their start in Orlando so they still get played on a lot of the pop stations down here and anytime like you know some NSync some Backstreet Boys comes on and you know get a little O Town every once in a while thrown in there come on like let us be honest we can all jam to that we, we're comfortable enough in, you know guys girls whoever you are we're comfortable enough to admit that, like, that period of time, we look back on it, yeah, I mean, it was cheesy, it was corny, but those songs were great. And there was a
1: reason that we all, like, enjoyed them,
0: right? Am I Yeah, so,
1: no, so I'm glad you brought it up, and it's going to surprise you, because I actually totally agree with you. Um, I, mine would be probably, like, like, if it's a one song, I don't even know if it's a guilty pleasure, because the song rules, uh, it'd probably be Backstreet Boys, I Want It That Way. That, that song rules. It's an all man. Yeah. O town sucks. I will say that. Move it on. Um, so this was sent in by Cole Miss uh, from Instagram. He did specifically say nukes, but I thought we're gonna we're gonna just make it a more we're paint with a broader broader brush here. What's your favorite sandwich? See if we're going if we're going basic, we're going all time
0: classic. There's there's an answer to me, and, and that the answer is grilled cheese. Okay. So. I could eat a grilled cheese anytime, any place, anywhere, any state, any bread, any butter, and whatever. I think you meant like at a restaurant. Yeah, I mean a grilled cheese is is my like go-to. Um, to me, that that's what I pretty much had at every single restaurant up, to, up until I was about like 13, 14 years old. Um, but I would say <laughs> favorite sandwich in general. That's a little bit tougher because then you get into some specifics and I can talk about some mom and pop shops, places back in Chicago that I'll okay. go to. Shout all out right. to Camps and Nemo's. You're no, we won't, go there. we won't go there.
1: Okay, so I will say this is my favorite would be um, the French dip at Houston's, that's which good. I mean I'm, I'm very partial to Houston's. I worked there for six years. Uh, it's where I, that's how I got this job uh, when I met our boss, but um, the best sandwich of all time. Is the French dip at Houston's, and there were several Sundays when I worked there that I had too much fun on Saturday night. And the French dip sandwich, with this oh, this bread that was it was so good. And you add like some grilled onions to it, some cheese. It's fantastic. It's, it's if you, if you are near a Houston's or a Hillstone, go get the French dip, add grilled onions and cheese to it. They, it's not on the menu. Just trust me, do it. They will do it for you. It's fantastic.
0: I'm going to give you the Chicago version of that because it is my current favorite sandwich. It is whatever I have when I go back home and that is the Italian beef from Portillo's. To me, oh. that is my my number one go-to sandwich. I, I There's there's nothing quite like it. Uh, French dip is like kind of the, the nationalized variation of it and I love a good French dip. We make them uh, every couple months or so here. Yeah. But uh, Italian beef from Portillo's, man, that's like, that that is money in the bank. Good question though. I like the that. The
1: good stuff. Um, we're going to We're going to skip number five here. Um, You know what? We'll we'll do it. Number four. What's your favorite dinosaur and why? That was sent in from MSU Bulldog Fan on Instagram. There's only one answer. It's the pterodactyl. If you can (laughs) fly and be a dinosaur,
0: you have everything.
1: That's all. That's, I mean, um, so mine, I think, is a stegosaurus, and I don't know... What they I, I couldn't tell you anything about a Stegosaurus. I just remember when I was a kid. I think it had probably had something to do with Land Before Time. It was a sad movie. Um, maybe there was a Stegosaurus in that. But I always remember like being like little and like that's like the only, that's the first big word I knew. And honestly, the only big word I knew until up from like age five to twenty two probably. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, last question. Have you ever felt compelled to conceal your fandom and/or allegiances? That is sent in from our very good friend on Twitter, One Bearded Golfer.
0: Yeah, so um, at the SEC championship that we were at, <laughs> I, in my heart of hearts, I, I really did just go into that wanting a good game. I, I really, really did. And being surrounded by Georgia fans, and you're the only Bama fan, and like I didn't have to worry about, okay, I, I legitimately like did not, I wanted it to be a close game, I just wanted to go down to the wire, and that's, that's what we got. But as the game grew along, I thought to myself, you know what? An unhappy Marler would be really, really upsetting for the rest of this weekend. (laughs) And getting a happy Marler, or at least somebody that um, can, is not going to be in total like just depression mode for the next twenty-four hours, is going to be probably the the best to be around. So I'll be honest. Towards the end of that SEC championship game, I thought to myself, in terms of results that could happen, Bama winning wouldn't be the worst thing in the world. It would be ideal.
1: I think the only time I'm usually like I've been arrogant and and uh, and brash and and a big enough a-hole I think for most of my adult life, so I've never wanted to conceal my fandom um, and or allegiances. But I will say there was one time at Yankee Stadium. I'm a, like as a Red Sox fan, and I was there with this friend of mine who was a Yankees fan, and we were in the family section, which just means you can't drink. That's it. There's nothing family-oriented going on besides that. And I remember this guy was yelling at a woman is um, a Yankees fan. He's yelling at a Red Sox fan, and I—I I was like 21, and I decided southern, southern, uh, what do you call it? Chivalry. Was gonna stand, no, yeah. chivalry was going to stand up, and be like, hey, like stop yelling at that lady, and like and defend her, and like you know try to like intervene. And when by the time I did, another Yankees fan who was a woman stood up in front of me and told me to mind my own business and shut my blank mouth and then called me the C word. And I was like, okay, I'm going to take off this Red Sox jersey now and we're going to go home. And we lost.
0: Sounds like you've had better days.
1: Just, I've had just better say. days. I've had better days. Um, I do want to give a quick shout out here. Before we do, it might mean too much. Um, for one of, the, one of the best responses and, and one of my favorite things that's happened since I took this job. And I know we joke around a lot, but this was something that was – was pretty great and it meant a lot. So I wanna, we want to give it a little bit of a shout out here. And that was this last week when we did the um, the Valentine stuff uh, on social media. We, I made a bunch of stupid, <laughs> ridiculous fake Valentine's cards that were SD themes, And I noticed one of the comments that was made under them. It said from Crazy Cat Lulu. Uh, said Saturday on South is killing it this Valentine's Day. Going through harsh chemo today and for breast cancer. And all these Valentines are cracking me up. Thank you. And it was like one of the things where you kind of like take a step back and you're like, wow, man, like this is, you know, a lot of times like our job, we probably take too seriously. And that really made me take a step back and realize like, you know, how thankful I am obviously for the job, but like for, for nice comments like that as well. And for somebody going through something so difficult to go out of her way um, and, you know, and, and give us like a, like a little pat on the back. And it's it was really, really, really nice. So I want to say thank you um. To Crazy Cat Lulu, otherwise known as Miss Laura Morrow. So Laura is um, she lives outside of Athens. She has one of the most SEC uh, crazy family type things ever. She I think there's her husband went to Auburn. She's a Georgia fan, and somehow there's Ole Miss involved as well. So she's got a little little taste of everything from the SEC. Um, but want to give her a shout out. Hope you're doing well. We're playing for you. We're pulling for you. Um, and thank you again. So mm-hmm. Laura, Laura, you are like a walking Chick Fil A commercial. I love it. Let's yeah. let's get Laura signed. That up was one awesome, of those Chick Fil A
0: commercials with all the the fans, like you know, different different fan base, all that stuff. But thank you for sharing that so much. Seriously, th- that, that stuff means so so much to us. We really do appreciate that. Um, let's let's go to on a, on a little bit of a of a different note. With it might mean too much. This is a, a story that I'm, I'm sure many people can relate to experiencing an SEC game as a fan. Um, we, we've all been there. I, Marlo, you probably have a, a story somewhat similar <laughs> to this, but this is, this is personalized. This is really good. This is from Kyle Matlock. He sent us an email uh, last week with his, uh, it might mean too much from back when he was a kid. So, November 9th, 1996 was my eighth birthday, and being a huge Vols fan, my parents took me to my first ever football game. That just so happened to be the day that Tennessee played Memphis as the number six team in the country. Peyton Manning's junior year and the only time I ever got to see him play in orange and white. On my way out of the stadium as a crying eight-year-old boy dressed head to toe in orange, some middle-aged drunk woman decided to grab me by my jacket, shook me back and forth, and screamed F Tennessee in my face. Fast forward 12 years, while still living in Memphis, number two Tennessee played number one Memphis in basketball. At my work, we were allowed to wear personal hats, and I always had on orange. For a full week leading up to the game, I was spit on, threatened by coworkers and customers, and harassed constantly at my workplace. One week after Tennessee won the game and everyone shut up, my boss called... Called out of the blue to tell me I was fired without any reasoning. A Memphis fan fired me over a basketball game that I had no control over. To this day, there is no team I would rather watch Tennessee beat than the Memphis Tigers. Man, do I hate the <coughs> University of Memphis. Wow. <laughs> yeah. That is – that's a lot. Yeah. Um, but believe it or not, uh, Kyle Matlock does not hate John Calipari. so um, – You'd be surprised to know that, even though he does hate, hate Memphis. Um, but, yeah, so thank you for sharing that. That was really, really good. Uh, Kyle Matlock also gave us a nice little five-star review. Why don't I read that one to start off these five-star reviews? Um yep. Kyle said, I tell everyone I know about this podcast, y'all. I know Chris gets confused by you all. Keep the laughs coming. I listen to many podcasts, but I always save this one as my final treat once I finish the others. I almost wish I had a Twitter just to at y'all. I grew up in the 90s too, but I wish I could go back to those games, keep up the good work. Now do some more basketball stuff. LSU, Kentucky, and Balls fans need this. Thank you, Kyle. Very oh, active nice. listener this week.
1: Yeah. Uh, so this one's from Cam White Guy, or maybe Cam White Guy. I don't. Either way. Um <laughs> great pod Uh I'd like to preface this by saying that I don't just hand out five star reviews everything about this pod feels professional yet fun, the intro, outro, soundtrack is awesome, the rant you guys went on about Florida State being F both on and off the field was hilarious, shout out to Connor uh, I'm a Florida fan he says and it's nice to hear people besides me reference The Office when talking about football also Spurrier and beating a team from Georgia name a more iconic duo, go Gators that was, that was awesome <laughs>
0: Thank you very much, Cam. We're just gonna call it Cam. We're just gonna, yeah, with yeah. that. Uh, this one is uh, Chad. Chad cruising for a bruising. Oh, I'm glad you're taking this one. <laughs> <laughs> Subject: Connor. <laughs> I feel like that's kind of why I should take. This yes time. that's fair. Okay. Uh, let's just peel back the onion here. I've been listening to these guys for about a year now. I don't like commitments, so I was hesitant to subscribe to this podcast, but I'm glad I did because with the Cocho and the fourth and wrong, uh, I've decided that these guys, Connor and the other guy, hot, are by far doing this podcast for free. Oh, and to uh, cap off this five star review, hail state,
1: go dogs! That was a right. roller coaster, and I, I. Think, like I think it was a compliment. Regardless, I appreciate it. I was, I it was, it was really. It took me for a spin there. That was good. I liked it. I just didn't like you threw out the other guy. That's fine though. That's um, fine. No, that was good. We appreciate that. Tried cruising for a bruising. Uh, this is from Ohio Reb. Hugh Freeze was innocent. Um, As a Rebel Landshark Black Bear alum living in Big Ten country, it's refreshing to get a little SEC football in my life while I'm grinding through the workday on the cube farm. Keep it up only 199 days until the next Saturday down south. I, I love that. That was good. That was good. Thanks, guys. We had some gr- really, really good five-star reviews yeah, this week. Uh, if you have not sent us a
0: five-star review and you want to hear yours read um, by yours truly and Marlar, please, please do so. Today. And the other guy. right now. And the other guy. The other guy. <laughs> um, make sure that you are watching Facebook Live Monday nights, 8.30 mm-hmm. p.m. Are you doing anything else? Anything else? Are we doing uh, an Instagram Live? No. Nope. <laughs> so the, the
1: numbers got better, but nope, we are not. We, okay. we will talk about it some other time.
0: <laughs> we will do an Instagram Live some other time. Uh, make sure that you're reading all of our content um, on SaturdayDownSouth.com. I just did a a feature on former Georgia linebacker Natress Patrick. He talked about his three arrests for, uh, for marijuana. He's preparing for the NFL draft. He did have a drama-free senior season, but I think just pretty telling to hear somebody talk about their – uh, talk about their arrests and kind of just what they're going through and and really rare. A lot of kids, I think, would kind of move past that and not want to talk about it, but he addressed it um, head on. So um, really appreciate him taking the time to be able to talk with me for that. So make sure you are following us on all forms of social media, on Instagram, at SDS, on Twitter, at SDS, also at the SDS pod, at C. Marler, SDS at CJ O'Gara. Coach O, we didn't hear from you this podcast, but... I, like I had a really
1: him. long weekend of loving from Valentine's Day, but it might mean too much. Y'all have a good day.
0: Talk to you next week.